Check your trim set. Check your heading north. Light heading is 074. Check your altimeter set. 2946. Corrected center point elevation. Zero feet. Check your barrel and zero. Check your SS 1230 3034. Check your field. Check your speed up. Lights out. Welcome to the Renegade Aviator Radio Show with David Costa. Bob! Dave Costa, Renegade Aviator, back for another week. This is a show about aviation for sure, and a lot of the ways people come in contact with aviation today, especially, is through air shows. Air shows are one of the most popular forms or one of the most popular spectator sports or spectator events out there. They draw huge crowds, young and old, higher than average education, higher than average income. People love airplanes, and air shows are a great place to go see them. So I like to hear what it is you like in an air show acts. What acts impressed you the most? What is it you want to see? I talk to air show performers, air show promoters air show sponsors. And so you can help me out. And in turn, I'll try to help you out. You have any questions about what you saw and want to see more of certain things or learn more about certain things as it has to relate to aviation. Give me a call 888-366-5256. Coming up in this show, some aviation tales prove that the truth is sometimes really stranger than fiction. Listen to this. It's called Spitfire Ride. On February 14th, 1945, leading aircraft woman Margaret Horton, an RAF WAAF, was assigned a familiar job. Sit on the horizontal stabilizer of a Spitfire to help hold the tail down while it taxied on a windy day. Interesting job, right? Unfortunately, nobody thought to tell the pilot Flight Lieutenant Neil Cox that she'd be jumping aboard. Horton later admitted that the squadron was run in a slap-happy way. The normal drill was for the tail sit to grab the aircraft's elevator and waggle it before the pilot turned onto the runway so he'd know she was hopping off. But this time, Cox made a casual gesture out of the cockpit that Margaret took to mean, hang on, don't go yet. Big mistake. As the Spitfire accelerated down the runway, Horton had the good sense to quickly flop across the tail cone where she was held in place by the vertical fin, her legs to the right and her torso to the left. Another WAF, who seen what was happening, dashed off to tell a flight sergeant who ran to the control tower. 
Cox was ordered to make a quick circuit and land, but he wasn't told why. Between Horton's death grip on the elevator with her left hand, plus the Spitfire's tail heaviness, Cox had already figured out that something was amiss, but he couldn't see as far aft as his airplane's empennage. That's the tail section. Relieved to be back on the ground, Horton announced that after a change of panties and a cigarette, she'd be good to go back to work. What a girl. She was later fined for losing her uniform beret during the short trip around the pattern. There you have it. <laughs> I don't even know what to call that. Crusader fail. On June 21st, 1963, Marine Lieutenant Cliff Judkins was tanking from an Air Force Boeing KC-97 over the Pacific on his way from California to Hawaii when the automatic shutoff valve on his F-8 Crusader failed and the internal fuel bladder burst from the pressure of the still-flowing fuel from the tanker. With flames streaming from the big vault fighter, Judkins tucked in his legs and jerked the canvas face curtain to eject. Nothing happened. He quickly pulled the alternate firing handle between his knees, but still nothing. Now Judkins' only choice was an old-fashioned bailout. Nobody ever tried stepping out of a Crusader with its vertical stabilizer, a tall machete, after the cockpit. But Judkins trimmed the ship to skid, manually jettisoned the canopy, and at 220 knots and 15,000 feet, was quickly sucked out of the cockpit. His troubles weren't over. When he pulled his parachute's D-ring, Judkins got a streamer. The little pilot chute deployed, and the shroud lines pulled out normally, but the main canopy remained an unopened bundle, wrapped like a moth in a spiderweb by the shrouds. Judkins fell nearly three miles into the Pacific, the streamer slowing his uh, terminal velocity plunge by perhaps 10%, likely still a good 110 miles per hour straight down. He survived the fall with two severely broken ankles, a fractured pelvis and vertebrae, a partially collapsed lung, and various lesser injuries. Four years earlier, after Judkins had been in a bad automobile accident, he had his spleen removed during surgery. A doctor later told him that if he had still had his spleen, the fall from the F-8 would have killed him when the impact ruptured it. Be thankful for small favors. Crusader failed. Well, here's another one that truth is stranger than fiction. This one's called Seatbelt Fastened at All Times. There weren't many old BAC 111s still flying in 1990, but one of them, British Airways 5390, was en route from Birmingham to the Spanish island of Malaga on June 10th. It was a sunny Sunday with 81 happy beachgoers aboard, when the entire pilot's side windscreen blew out as the 111 climbed through 17,300 feet. The captain, Tim Lancaster, was almost instantly sucked out of the opening. He'd removed his shoulder harness after takeoff and loosened his lap strap, but fortunately the backs of his knees jammed against the top of the windscreen frame while his feet were caught under the yoke of his control column. 
Stuart Nigel Ogden, what a British name that is, Stuart Nigel Ogden, who had just entered the cockpit, grabbed Lancaster by his legs while the first officer got the airplane under control. Ogden was on the verge of being drug out as well when a second steward reached the cockpit and secured him with a strap from the captain's shoulder harness. By this time, Lancaster had slipped sideways from the roof of the cockpit and his bloodied head was flailing against the left side window. The crew assumed that he was already dead. His eyes were wide open, Ogden recall. I'll never forget that sight. Lancaster was actually comatose and his system shut down as a result of the incredible shock and the excruciating cold of the high-speed slipstream. A second steward eventually had to relieve Ogden, who was frostbitten and losing his grip. And by the time the airplane landed at Southampton, England, Lancaster was being held only by his ankles. He, in fact, survived with a fractured arm and wrist, and his first words after being pulled back into the cockpit were, I want to eat. Just like a pilot, Ogden reportedly said, it was soon determined that an overworked mechanic had used undersized bolts on 85 of the windscreen's 90 hold-down fittings. Ladies and gentlemen that work on airplanes, please check your work. That's the purpose of a, uh, a good mechanic team. Evidently, this one wasn't too great, but the pilot survived. Strange but true. David Costa, Renegade Aviator, 888-366-5256. We'll be right back. I had to sit on the runway for 40 minutes. That's a story in America. Folks will listen to that story. Folks will stop doing the dishes. Oh, my God, how long did you have to sit on the runway? <laughs> they made us sit on the runway for 40 minutes. Really? What happened after that? Did you fly through the air? Incredibly? Did you partake in the miracle of human flights and chip out it the whole time you were up there? This is Dave Costa, the Renegade Aviator, and I want to put a plug out for thousands of the local small airports all over this country. Chances are, wherever you live, there is a great airport right nearby. Go visit them and tell them that David Costa, the Renegade Aviator, sent you. These airports provide real value to local communities, and you will be amazed at who you will meet and what you will find there. the host of the Renegade Aviator Radio Show, David Costa.
Dave Costa, Renegade Aviator, 888-366-5256, reading you some stories that are amazing, but true stories, and proof that sometimes the truth is stranger than fiction. Freefall. On Christmas Eve 1971, a Peruvian Lockheed L-188 Electra lands a flight 508 en route from Lima to the small Amazon jungle city of Pucalapa came apart in a thunderstorm. A lightning strike ignited the fuel tank and the fire caused the right wing spar to fail. The spar is the big eye beam that connects the wings to the fuselage of the aircraft, for those of you that don't know that. The four-engine turboprop had been cruising at flight level 210, 21,000 feet, and the flaming pieces fell unseen into a 15-square-kilometer area of the tropical void below. There had been 86 passengers and a crew of six. All but one were killed. The sole survivor was a 17-year-old high school senior, Julianne Kopke the daughter of a German zoologist and his wife, a Peruvian ornithologist. Julian's mother, sitting next to her, died in the crash of Lanza 508 while Julian's father awaited them at the destination. Two things were remarkable about the crash. How Julian survived it and how she then saved herself from death in the jungle. Julian had her seatbelt fastened. When the airplane came apart, she fell, still strapped into the window seat, while her mother and the aisle seat occupant fell free. This three-row seat helicoptered down. It spun like one of those maple seed sacks, right? This thing kind of helicoptered down and landed in an area of jungle with trees interlaced with vines that cushioned her fall, believe it or not. The teenager had broken a collarbone, suffered deep cuts, and all but lost her vision. Her eyes were so bloodshot and bruised in the fall that she could hardly see. Julianne had spent a good part of her young life with her parents in the backcountry of Peru, and they had taught her survival skills. One lesson was that every rivulet of water flows into a brook, then into a stream, then into a tributary, and eventually into a river. Dressed in a miniskirt and wearing just one sandal, barely able to see, Julianne followed the water. Twelve days later, it led her to the destination, where her father was waiting for her. You can read more about this. There's actually a documentary. It's called Wings of Hope. And if you go to YouTube, you can probably find this thing. It's posted as a series, but it's a true story. Wings of Hope. Story about a girl that survived the fall, the only survivor out of 86 passengers and a crew of six, crashing into the jungle, strapped into her seat. Amazing story. I'm giving credit to these little short uh, snippets, these little short stories I'm reading you to historynet.com. That's where I found these. I hope you enjoy them. Call my office. I'm here to be of service to you. And I know I sound like a broken record, but it's important to me. We're receiving great feedback from the show. This is a show. It's a labor of love, but it's a show where I give back. This is a show about aviation for sure, but this is also a show about going after your goals and achieving 
your goals and becoming a person of excellence. It all fits in with aviation real well. And it's also here to be entertaining. So that's what these stories, I like using stories because stories tell a better picture than some monologue. There's a lot of information I could be giving you on this show, but what I really want to do is keep reminding you to call my office because if you're a pilot or not a pilot, if you have an interest in aviation, or maybe you just fly on airliners, maybe you're a seasoned aviator, maybe you're an aircraft owner, you need advice on taking care of your airplane or getting it maintained, I can help you. Call my office, 888-366-5256. Okay, this story is called Liberated Liberator, a consolidated C-87. The cargo version of the B-24 took off at 1 a.m. on February 9, 1943, from West Palm Beach, Florida, bound for the Azores en route to North Africa. The crew leveled the Liberator Express at 9,000 feet, but the pilot was barely able to maintain altitude. Worse, the elevator and rudders began to vibrate violently through the control column and rudder pedals. With the airplane only about 90 miles east of Florida, the pilot initiated a return, and the crew lightened their load by tossing out baggage and cargo. By the time they were inbound and descending just 10 miles east of Miami, the C-87 had become so uncontrollable that the pilot ordered the crew and passengers to jump, then followed after turning on the autopilot. Presumably, he didn't have enough control to turn the airplane seaward rather than leaving it on course towards the heavily populated Florida coast. The Coast Guard and several civilian boats pulled six of the eight jumpers from the water, but two were never seen again. Meanwhile, the C-87, having shed another 1,500 pounds of its load, shrugged its aluminum shoulders and climbed back to altitude, now heading west and under the control of the autopilot. If its tail surfaces were still vibrating, it didn't seem to bother George. That's what we call the autopilot, by the way, George. About four and a half hours later, after crossing the Gulf of Mexico, the C-87 had traveled 1,300 miles and reached Zaragoza, Mexico, 25 miles southwest of the U.S. border. For two hours, the Liberator Express carved lazy orbits over the Mexican town and finally crashed into a nearby mountain. Dave Costa, Renegade Aviator, 888-366-5256. We'll be right back. Do you mind my asking where you're going? Oh, I was going to go to the bathroom. This bathroom is for coach passengers only. Really? Who said that? Um, earlier I tried to use the one up there, and I was told that you know, coach isn't allowed to use first class, so oh. we have our different areas. I am so sorry that they did that. That's terrible. Thank you for understanding. I'm still going to use the bathroom. Why would, why? I didn't stop you from oh, using that bathroom. because you're in first class, so you get to do whatever you want to do. Not at all. You get on first, no, you, you, you get free drinks, no, you get a hot towel. No. You... Just because I'm sitting up there, you're making a generalization about me, but I'm not like a first class person. I'm, I'm, I'm coaching. Really I'm coaching. You're not acting coaching. I didn't stop you. You're not stop acting you. coaching. You're acting you're first classy. I'm coaching. No, but you just think you get care. to walk back here. I'm... You got it all wrong, okay? Oh, I'm sure that you'd I do. Up, you'd misunder... be up in first class poor, if somebody bought you a ticket. Oh, you'd be up there in a second. Oh, poor little coaching girl. <laughs> She's so jealous because everybody else is more comfortable so than the coaching girl in first, first class. Because I am nothing
Clarence. Now. Okay. Is your name Clarence? Because then I can say call Clarence, Clarence. Close. I like it. So do I. Roger, Roger. Over, over. Vector, Victor. Questions, comments, suggestions, or inspirational stories, call the Renegade Aviator, dial 888-366-5256 anytime and leave us a message. Want to listen to all of our shows? Find us on iTunes, Google Play, iHeart, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or anywhere you find podcasts. Just search the Renegade Aviator radio show, AV, the number 8R, renegadeaviator.com. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away If you can use some exotic booze There's a bar in far Bombay Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away Stranger Than Fiction, aviation stories from HistoryNet.com He's out, he's in during a dogfight in January 1918, Royal Flying Corps pilot Captain Reginald Makepeace bunted his Bristol F-2B into a steep dive, and the negative G's tossed his gunner observer Captain John H. Headley out of his seat. The RFC didn't issue its airmen parachutes in those days, thinking it would make them less aggressive if they had such an easy out. So Headley was doomed. Or was he? Headley fell several hundred feet, but so did the F-2B. Gunner and airplane somehow came together, and Headley found himself clinging to a flat-topped half-fuselage of the fighter. He managed to crawl back to his pit and went on, apparently nonplussed, to score 11 victories before being shot down and imprisoned two months later. Makepeace himself had 17 victories scored with his forward-firing guns, so they were literally a deadly duo. After the war, Headley became an American, moved to Chicago, and at least for a while, made a living billing himself as the luckiest man alive. Had he instead moved to Berlin, he'd have to share the stage with First Lieutenant Otto Berla, who on May 24, 1917, had been the observer aboard an Albatross CV, when a sudden bout of turbulence bunted the airplane's nose down and popped an unbelted Berla up and out of his rear seat. He and his airplane briefly formatted until a second updraft forced the tail up again, just in time to meet the rapidly descending Berla, who punched feet first through the plywood skin turtle deck just after the cockpit. Very happy to be back on board, Berla rode back to the base in his new temporary office. There you go. No parachutes for you in World War I. Interesting. <laughs> 
HistoryNet.com. That is who gets credit for these. The next one up is called Cable Guy. Carol Rex Bird, cross-trained as both a pilot and a radio man, was a crewman aboard a Grumman JRF-5 Goose on September 21, 1943. The small twin-engine amphibian had just been transferred from the Navy to the Coast Guard and was en route from Naval Air Station New York at Floyd Bennett Field to Coast Guard Station San Francisco. Bird, 26, never made it to California. A farmer picking tomatoes near Kratzerville, PA, heard the goose overhead and looked up just in time to see what he thought was a mailbag falling from the airplane. The mailbag was Bird, who hit the plowed ground and bounced eight feet back into the air. The airplane, to the farmer's amazement, simply continued droning westward. Had Bird been a suicide jumper? Had he been pushed? Fallen unnoticed through an unlocked door or hatch? The story that eventually came to light was that Bird had told the pilot he was going to fix an inoperative radio antenna and had pulled himself out of the cabin door onto the airplane's roof to work on the aerial in flight. When he hadn't returned in 20 minutes, a crewman poked his head out and saw the bird was gone. That remains the official version, yet it seems strange that the goose pilot didn't at least assign a crewman to more closely monitor Bird's crazy mission and immediately seen that he had fallen and that the crew had apparently reported the loss rather casually. It took days for a Navy accident investigation team to identify Bird and figure out where he'd come from while the goose continued to California. The Kratzerville farmer later found a yard-long piece of metal in his tomato field that may or may not have been part of an aircraft antenna. Was Bird gripping it when it broke off? We'll never know. That doesn't say in the story, though, did he live? Did he even live? I doubt he did if he bounced eight feet in the air. Anyway, the cable guy on HistoryNet.com. All right. Dave Costa, Renegade Aviator, 888-366-5256. Be right back. I'm never flying Delta again. You're flying! Look out the window. It's crazy. You're sitting in a chair in the sky. You're, you're like a Greek myth right now. But it doesn't go back very far, and it's squishing my knees. Really? Questions? Comments, suggestions, or recommendations? Call the Renegade Aviator at 888-366-5256 anytime and leave us a message. Once I get you up there where the air is rarefied, we'll just glide stone. You know, uh, I'm not just a dashingly handsome pilot without a big ego. <laughs> no. Hey, I'm a sales and marketing guy, too. Shocking, I know. This radio show and my jet air show act is fun, but it really is about exposure and sales for your business. Millions of impressions to the people who want to do business with you. 888-366-5256. 30-plus years of sales and marketing. Call me.
Okay, we're back. David Costa, Renegade Aviator. Call my office, 888-366-5256. 888-366-5256. Leave me a message. How can I be of service to you in your quest in aviation? All I want to do is help you. New to aviation, been in aviation a long time. You have a question, let me help you. 888-366-5256. Even if you're not a pilot, give me a call. You might have a question about why does the airlines do this or why does this happen every time I fly a you know, commercial? Or maybe you have a question about chartering an aircraft or using an aircraft for business. Or maybe you just like to start taking some pilot lessons. Maybe you want to learn how to fly a glider. Maybe you're a pilot that owns an aircraft. You want to learn about maybe how to maintain it yourself or maybe get your questions answered on the best shops to take it to. Uh, maybe you have make and model specific questions. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Anything related to aviation. And wait a second, hold on. News flash. I might even allow people to ask me questions about drones. 888-366-5256. I can help you with drones. Believe it or not, I'm a drone or I'm a UAV pilot as well. So anything I can do to be of service to you. I've been in aviation a long, long time. I've flown hundreds of makes and models of aircraft and I'm not an expert. You know, we all like to think we're experts, but I know enough to help you. So 888-366-5256. Anyway, where am I going next? Here's a quick story. Pardo's push on March 10th, 1967, after a bombing run near Hanoi, that's in Vietnam for you people that don't know your history, Air Force Captain Robert Pardo used his F-4 Phantom to literally push his wingman's badly damaged F-4 to relative safety over Laos, where both pilots and their backseaters then ejected and were rescued. You heard me right. He pushed another airplane with his fighter. Captain Earl Armand's Phantom was holed by any aircraft fire, and the damage drained most of his fuel. Knowing that Armand would run dry within minutes, Pardo had him jettison his braking parachute and then tried to put his F-4's nose into the small tail cone cavity left by the departed chute. No luck, too much turbulence directly behind Armand's Phantom. So Pardo then had Armand drop his tail hook and maneuvered behind and under Armand's airplane until the hook was snug against the base of Pardo's windscreen. The slightest lapse in airmanship would, of course, have put the big steel bar straight through the glass and into Pardo's face. This guy's got some guts. Even though Amon had by now shut down his engines, and Pardo was flying on only one with his other engine afire, Pardo's push got the job done for almost 90 nautical miles. Without the help from behind, Ammon's engine out glide would have ended well inside of North Vietnam. The Air Force wasn't pleased, however. Pardo had uh, lost not one but two airplanes and was rebuked for his poor sense of economy. Typical Air Force, right? Bob Pardo may well have known about the similar maneuver attempted by Captain James Risner over North Korea September 15, 1952, for it was an honored part of U.S. Air Force lore. Like Pardo... Risner found himself with a wingman losing fuel through a tank holed by ground fire. 
both were flying F-86 Sabres. So Risner told First Lieutenant Joseph Logan to shut down his engine while Risner maneuvered the nose of his Sabre into Logan's tailpipe. He tried pushing Logan to a safe runway in South Korea, but ultimately only got him over the sea. Jet fuel and hydraulic fluids streaming out of Logan's engine bay threatened to flame out Risner's engine, so he had to disengage. Logan bailed out but drowned. Risner survived to become the first double recipient of the Air Force Cross as a F-105D pilot and then a POW during the Vietnam War. But again, the Air Force chastised him for attempting a dangerous maneuver. These guys are heroes. Excellent story. Now, let me just read you this. Stranger than fiction. Luftwaffe ace. Eric, I can't pronounce his name. It doesn't matter. Let's just call him Eric. The pilot of an out-of-control ME-109 was probably dead when the Messerschmitt's wing sliced through the fuselage of the B-17F named All-American over Tunisia on February 1st, 1943. But the collision nearly did the job that Eric's silent guns couldn't. The bomber's left horizontal stabilizer and elevator were sliced off, and the entire empennage was barely held in trail by a few pieces of aluminum. The crew considered their chances, either bail out over German-held ground or try to make it back to base. They decided to stay with the ship, knowing that if the tail did come off, their chances of getting out of a gyrating bomber were probably nil. Lieutenant Kendrick Bragg, the pilot, slowed down the flying fortress to 140 knots to keep the tail from literally wagging itself off and flew as gently as possible back to Biskra, Algeria, his base. Bragg made a careful approach and touched down normally, though without a tailwheel. An ambulance wheeled up to collect injured crewmen, but Bragg waved it off. Not a single person was hurt. All-American, undamaged except for the ME-109 Slash, was mated to the tail of another grounded B-17 and actually flew for years after this. Uh, Although people said it flew really slow and it was a horrible handling airplane at that point. Anyway, the airplane was finally scrapped two years later. Internet accounts of this all-American B-17 incident are filled with a lot of other imaginary details. Some describe the airplane as continuing on its bombing run after the collision. There were some people talking that it returned to base in England, which is like 1,100 miles away. Some reports say that the tail gunner. Anyway, it goes on and on. None of that is true, but the truth remains stranger than fiction that these guys flew that airplane back with the tail literally hanging on by a thread. Outstanding. Dave Costa, Renegade Aviator. We promote aviation, ladies and gentlemen. There are opportunities for pilots, mechanics, engineers, air traffic controllers, and all kinds of support staff in aviation. Interested in a career in aviation but don't know where to start? Give me a call. 888-366-5256. Leave a message. We will call you back and do our best to help you 
on your new career in aviation. 888-366-5256. So Questions, comments, suggestions, or recommendations? Call the Renegade Aviator at 888-366-5256 anytime and leave us a message. David Costa, Renegade Aviator. Ladies and gentlemen, call my office, 888-366-5256. Get your free Jet Air Show team sticker. The Renegade Aviator, the skull patch, the sticker that everybody wants, 888-366-5256. Leave your name, your email, and your mailing address, and we'll get it right out to you. This week, we told stories. Why stories? Well, stories make us feel good. Stories connect us. Communication is a shared activity resulting in transferring information across our brains and findings. And science shows that during successful communications, speakers and listeners' brains exhibit a connection with stories. So that's what I'm asking you for. I'm asking for stories. Each and every week, we interview excellent aviators, air show pilots, combat pilots, people who have overcome a lot, people who've achieved greatly, and we let them tell their story. And a lot of you listening know people in aviation that have great stories. And sometimes their stories, they may not be able to get on the air and interview with me. Give me your stories. Write me. Just send me an email. Send an email to Taz, like the Tasmanian devil, Taz, T-A-Z, at renegadejets.com. Send me an email to that email address with your stories. And I'll try to get them on the air as we go each and every week. Because, ladies and gentlemen, this radio show is a labor of love. It's a way to give back. It's a way to get you interested in aviation, but you may not ever want to be a pilot. But my hope is, and my mission is, that the stories that we tell, that the people that you meet, that the things we talk about on this radio show will inspire you in your life to do great things, will inspire you in your life to overcome those obstacles, that when you're down, that when you've been kicked in the head a few times, and when it's time to get back up, you're going to remember some of these stories, you're going to remember some of the people that you've met on the Renegade Aviator radio show with me, David Costa, and you're going to get back up, and you're going to do great things, and it's a small thing to ask. We all have to have a mission, and my mission is to help you, so if you want to be more involved in aviation, call me. Or if you just want to have fun and listen to cool people and cool things about aviation, you found it. David Costa, the Renegade Aviator. See ya. So be